EFTM Tech Cars Lifestyle This is the EFTM Podcast with Trevor Long EFTM G'day, g'day. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Lovely to be back with you here on the EFTM podcast as I sit in the EFTM studios looking at the security cameras and wondering if the courier that just drove past is going to realise he just drove past uh, and he's going to have to come back around because I saw it. I saw him drive past. It's a fun thing to do with security cameras. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, we talk a lot about the great you know wireless cameras like Uniden and Ufi and Arlo and all these things, but having a wired security camera and a monitor that shows it all the time is so much fun. I couldn't have this at home. I'd be obsessed by it. Just looking at the cameras all around the house all the time. <laughs> or in the studio. See, he's backing up now. I can see him backing up. Uh, it's very funny. Uh, my wife ordered a rug um, and it's being delivered as we speak. Uh, thank you to the good people at Allied Express. And the big sticker on the side of the truck gave it a Dead set gave it away. Um, lots to get through today. Lots of calls. Plus, I'm going to talk electric vehicles again. I know we're, we're banging on about it, but you're going to need to learn about it. So we're going to talk to Bayhad from the Electric Vehicle Council about what needs to be done and whether or not we see eye to eye. Because I don't think we have over many years. So let's see how that plays out. But most importantly, calls. If you've got a tech question, you've got a tech problem, I'm your guy. I'm here to help. That's what I do on this show. Uh, EFTM.com, send me an email. Always happy to help try and get in touch, get you on the show and help you with your tech problem. We've got a bunch of those on the line. So let's get cracking and just help with your calls. All right, let's get cracking. Trevor Long taking your calls. Martin's on the line. G'day, Martin. Hey, how are you, Trevor? Yeah, really good. What can I do for you, Marty? Mate, I went to plug in my external hard drive and it seems like it's probably died. I've plugged it into a um, couple of different laptops and other and um, desktops and a few other things. Yep. And so it, um, does, it doesn't appear like it doesn't pop up saying there's a drive and no, there's no data. It literally just yeah, doesn't no, show up. So, yes, I was just wondering what is the best way, is there a way to retrieve the data that's on it? Is it a hard drive that has a power connection as well? No, no, it's a um, portable external uh, Seagate, uh, Seagate, I think. Okay, and does it, do you know if it's a hard drive or a solid state hard drive? Is no, it a, it's a hard drive, I've had it for a few years. Okay, so look, there's a couple of things here. You know, it is possible that it's just the. The interface, if you like. So the physical hard drive has a bit of, you know, there's a circuit board in there and that has the little USB connection and whatnot. And that could be faulty. And that could be the thing that is causing you grief. Now, in that situation, you can actually essentially crack open the hard drive and and get the physical hard drive out. And there are hard drive readers, if I want to call them that, maybe you could find on Amazon. Um, my brother's actually got a hard drive reader, and I, don't, I think he tried to plug it into his hard drive reader, and he wouldn't. I think he wouldn't play either. But did he pull the hard drive out of the – like, he, he would have yeah. smashed it. He would have had to – oh, well, I, was, I was sort of upstairs. He was downstairs in his, his sort of shed room where – um, let yeah. me let me put it to you this way: If you've got it in your hand now, for example, in which you don't because you're driving, does it look like it did before we gave it to him? No, no, he's put it in He's taken the case off. Yeah, it, so right. Okay. The case again. So, so then, then you really you're into a data recovery mode situation. There are companies that do this, right? But you have to make a very solid decision about the value of the data that you want to get back, um, because it's expensive. Like, okay. I thought it might have been. Yeah. And, and basically, it's a matter of going, you know, how valuable are the things on there to me? 
Am I am I willing to spend, I don't know, anywhere between five hundred and a thousand dollars to get someone to get this back for me, or am I unfortunately taking a loss here and 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 going? I need to learn that I need multiple backups, not just a physical hard drive, but maybe use the cloud for some data and things like that going forward. Yeah, well, not knowing much about how to how to retrieve stuff from the cloud. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I thought of that, yes. Yeah, so um, but, yeah. What sort of data are you losing, mate? Um, well, photos, tax records, yeah. um, passwords, because they had them on the external server. I didn't actually, I never, because I never kept it plugged into anything, so yeah, yeah. I'd only plug it in when I used it, so yeah, so it's... Look, what I would do is, are you on, do you use Facebook much? I'm on Facebook, yes. Oh, you know, the p- first place I'd go is, because I think you're up on the on the coast, Port Macquarie area? Yeah, oh, yeah, mate, yeah. Oh, I'd actually, because obviously in Sydney, a lot easier, there's a lot more places that would do it, but I'd jump yeah. into one of those community groups, you know, the, the the Port Macquarie Facebook group or whatever, and ask if anyone else has had a, anyone locally that does data recovery. And you might find some bloody computer boffin that assembles computers or something, has all the gear and some idea and might be able to do some work on it. And the thing is, what you should be able to do is pay a, essentially a, a quote fee. Like you might pay $100 to say, can you see anything on it? And if they can, then you pay more to get it off um, rather than paying the full whack to find out there's nothing they can do. Yeah, that's fair enough. That makes sense. That's that's the that's the path I would take, Martin. Unfortunately, not an easy one for you, mate. But well, the last thing I'd say to you is, don't be afraid of the cloud. Move from this well, point and say so and that's say so say to yourself, listen, I I need the cloud. This has to be part of your life going forward. Uh, Google Drive, Dropbox, and what you do is with either one, install it on your computer, and it becomes a folder on your computer. So just like saving to an external hard drive or the C drive or the D drive, yeah. you're you're saving to a folder which in it which just does its own thing then it just does its own backups and that's that's the way you keep yourself safe fair enough yeah because um, i'm my brother's sort of a bit self-taught with some yep. he suggests um go to solid state definitely solid. a more reliable hard drive but i would learn from this and say anything can fail um you might drop that solid state and run over it with a truck right and then you've lost your data again so uh, a, a combination of physical storage and the cloud is the best way going forward. Well, the computer doesn't generally leave, doesn't leave home anyway, so it's... Oh, I know. On the day, Floods, <laughs> fires, there's reasons why physical yeah, things... No, I get you. I get you. <laughs> yeah. All right, mate. Sorry it's uh, it's not been a good one for you, but hopefully you can find oh, some success. Sort of, the, sort of the answer I was expecting, actually, really, but it was... Well, I know, like I said, I know, I know from listening to you and um, and uh, Luke, you talk in the morning when I'm getting ready for work, so I lean on... Oh, well, I'll, give, I'll give you a crack. Oh, mate, I'm, I'm glad you did, and hopefully you find some solution down the track, buddy. Good on you. Appreciate it, mate. No worries at all. And, um, yep, you stay trucking, mate. Good on you. Keep safe out there on the roads. Uh, Marty, a truck driver up in Port Macquarie, listens to Luke Boner on the night shift on Triple M. Good on you, mate. Appreciate you uh, tuning in. But, yeah, not a – God, I feel bad for those people that, you know, you lose your data. That's, that's a bloody hard thing to recover from, literally. Anyway, uh, if you got advice for Marty and the Port Macquarie area, let me know. EFTM. This is the EFTM Podcast. EFTM Podcast. Brent's on the line. G'day, Brent. What can I do for you, mate? G'day, Trevor. How are you going? Yeah, really good. Mate, um, yeah, we're just watching a bit of live sport over the weekend. I was getting buffering issues, which I've never had before. Yeah. Um, we have Aussie Broadband. Uh, we have NBN that's fibre to the home. Right way to rub it in. Okay, good. Yep. 
<laughs> um, and yeah, it's just lately that I've noticed we've been getting a bit of buffering and yeah. sort of slow. What internet, speed plan are you on, mate? We're on the second fastest. So two fifty. Yeah. So, so that's pretty sweet, mate. That should be all you need. I'm thinking it's more of a Wi-Fi issue rather than a MBN issue. Well, I mean, you know, it could be either. Um, the first thing I'll do, right, is yep. and this is crazy, but we were having. I didn't notice it, but I did suddenly think the other day. Geez, it's a bit slow here. Um, yep. I think we 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 noticed it most when we were doing some streaming. I'm like this, like seriously, why is this stopping? That makes no sense. Oh, because we watch uh, free to air via the like the nine now app. So I watch Millionaire yes. and then the news, right? And I'm thinking, why is this stopping? And I've had issues before where it stops because they go to ad breaks and the technology is just crap, right? Anyway, yep. it, I, you know what I did? I did a speed test and I realised I was getting five or six. I'm paying for a thousand. Yeah. Uh, and the reason is I don't know, but I turned the modem off, turned the NBN box off. Turn everything off. Waited 10 minutes. Turn it all back on again. 250, yeah. 600. We're nailing. Oh, really? So as, as weird as it is, right, do the old turn it off, turn it back on again yep. uh, for everything. So you've got the MBN box, then you've got your Wi-Fi router. Turn yep. it all off. Go to the shops. You know, make have coffee. Come back, turn the NBN back on, and then turn back on the, the router and let it all connect. And then standing next to the router – do a speed test on your mobile phone. Yep. So you want to get a speed. I mean, at a thousand on fiber to the node, fiber to the premises. I actually don't know, but I would assume you'd be getting nine hundred. But yep. I actually think that whether you got six hundred plus would be great. Um, so that should be what you're getting standing at the modem, and then go to where the TV is and do the same thing. Do a speed test. Now, by the way, just wait five minutes for everything to connect because while they're all connecting again yeah. for the first time, it'll obviously overwhelm your Wi-Fi just a little bit. But, yeah. you, you know, you should be getting, on your speed, you should be getting 200 plus in yeah. every part of the house, even without a really good Wi-Fi network like Mesh. Um, if you find that, A, you're not getting that speed standing next to the modem, then ring Aussie Broadband immediately and say, dude, paying for 1,000, getting 200, what yep. the hell? Yep. Um, go to their um, go to the My Aussie portal and have a look at the the graph for your local area. Uh, they call mm-hmm. it a POI, and it actually shows you how congested your local area is, oh, and, okay. and it absolutely yeah. should not be topping out because they have a system that adds bandwidth to every area as it's needed. So definitely shouldn't be a problem. Um, yeah. If you are finding that the NBN's fine, Aussie Broadband's fine, and you're still getting that problem, then it is about your Wi-Fi. Now, something new might have happened in your local area that is interfering with the Wi-Fi that you had before, the channel selection, different things like that. So, again, depending on, you know, where you want to go with it, you know, moving the Wi-Fi router, investing in a better Wi-Fi router that has mesh that allows you to put a satellite somewhere through the home, it's going to, especially if you're paying for fibre to the premise, um, yeah. you've got it, you should invest in the, the infrastructure around it because essentially what you've got is roll gold to the door yeah. and then you might have... Not copper, but do you know what I mean? Like a, a third third world style Wi Fi, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so yeah, it's uh it's that's what I would be doing. Reset and you might find yep. that solves it straight away. Do a speed test before you reset, by the way. Stand at yeah, the modem, yep. do a speed test, see what yep. you're getting, do the reset. Always a good thing to do anyway. And this is a word to the wise. This applies to everything. Your phone, yeah. your computer, your TV, turn it off at the wall. You know, yep. things need a break now and then. They're always thinking, and so turn them off, and you know, see how we go. Um, right. Yeah, so that that would be the couple of things that I would do, mate. No worries. All right, good luck, mate. Let me know how you go. Thanks for that. Cheers, Brent. Um, yeah, it's a. 
funny thing though, we were getting these really slow speeds at the house. And then, hey, presto, uh, it was sorted. Anyway, um, sometimes you've just got to turn it off, turn it back on again. Thank you for listening. Let's keep going with calls. G'day, Chris. Hey, Trevor. How are you? Really good. What can I do for you? Um, so looking to buy a Nintendo Switch for my seven-year-old son's birthday. Um, yeah. Last time I yeah, last time I bought a Nintendo was um, when I was in primary school and I got a Nintendo 64 for my, for my birthday. So okay, I'm, I'm a bit, bit, out of, um, bit out of the loop on Nintendo. Seven-year-old so getting a Switch. <laughs> yeah, why the switch? Lucky. So why the uh, switch? Is that something he's asking for? Yeah, yeah, it is. And um, you know, he's he's starting to get to the age where um, you know, he wants to he wants to get into a thing. He's probably not old enough yet for an Xbox or a PlayStation, yeah, yeah. but the Switch seems to probably be the the right thing for his age, I guess. What do you think he's going to play? Like what are his uh, mates playing or what has he seen? Uh so um I, I, Mario is the big one, and yep. Pokemon as well. Okay. But I did a I did a, a search, and there seems to be about two hundred and fifty different Mario games. So I don't even know where to start with that. You know, um, so here's the thing: I literally only got the first Switch to look at. I feel like it was Christmas last year, or yep. somewhere recently. I just there. Are, obviously, this sounds completely weird and egotistical, but like if it doesn't get sent to me to review, I don't, I don't know about it, right? I, I can't yeah, go out and buy everything to review it. And Nintendo, I just, they just went really on the radar. I know about them, and that they sell well. So what do you need to do? Anyway, we we're doing a gaming segment. They sent me. There's three different models, right? There's this new OLED one. There's your standard Switch, and then there's the Switch Lite. So I took them home to the kids and I said, "Let's work out what these things are and see how they play." Have you only got one kid, or you got multiple? Uh, two. So he's got a, he's got a sister who is six. Okay. So you know you're a couple of years away from them wanting to you know have sharing of devices and stuff as well, and and maybe individual devices. But the one thing I'd say is maybe avoid the light because the light doesn't okay. have the removable um, controllers on the end. It's awesome. Okay. But it's basically yep. just a portable gaming console. Um, okay. The thing that I noticed from the very first minute the kids played with this thing and when they have friends around is those little ends, those controllers, are individual controllers for two different players. So you buy the standard Switch, not even the OLED one, just the standard Switch, and you've, you are automatically buying something that, A, works mobile, do, do your best anywhere you like, B, can plug into a TV and be a big screen gaming experience, and those little things on the edge come off and they are two controllers. So him and his sister can play together. And I thought that I hadn't realized. I thought that was just like a, you know, they were, it was for one player. I hadn't realized nah. those were, that was a two player thing. That's it's, awesome. It's so good. And so with one console, you've got gaming for both kids. Um, I think my kids play Super Mario Party or something like that. And we, we played it once. It's just fun. I'll be honest with you, mate. You'll be into it. It's good. Okay. It's good, Perfect. wholesome family fun. That is my number one selling point for the Nintendo Switch wholesome family fun. Uh, you know, they're not. I mean, obviously, there are games like, you know, your Fortnite-style games you can play, but in reality, it is mainly your, you know, Mario, Luigi, um, Zelda, you know, it's it's classic gaming, and I think that's what's great about it. And plus, mate, you pack it in a bag for a road trip for when they go to visit grandma, whoever, like, it's, it's there as an option as well. Um, there are parental controls available on it. You should jump into them from the get-go so that... You know, I'm not trying to tell you how to parent, but it's just you know advice <laughs> I always give. But you know, they got to know there's rules from the get go, so time limits yeah. and stuff like that. But yeah, my only advice is really just avoid the light because you're buying the light for one kid, whereas the standard switch 
that's a family device. You can buy extra controllers and four people can be playing a game. Okay, so it's so it's a it's a fully fledged like we're not it's a we're console, not talking mate. like Game Boy. We're not talking no, Game Boy. Mate, yeah, it's a it comes with a docking station that you plug HDMI into your TV and ninety percent of the gaming my kids have done on it have been on the TV. Just oh, like, so not even not even on the on the mobile screen, not actually using it as a console. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. It docks um, so the screen docks into this dock and it appears up on the big screen and then the the ends of it become the the portable controller. So, you know, it's your PlayStation, it's your Xbox, but it's just a Switch. All right, that's and then the the other question was then OLED or non OLED? Which one? Look, which way would you? Your seven year old ain't going to know anything about the difference. Yep, and and the device is basically the same apart from the OLED screen. Bigger, from what bigger, better screen on the OLED. If you've got the cash, get it because you, my friend, will be playing the Switch. <laughs> okay, so brilliant. We all know that's going to happen. So that's yeah. purely um, a, a, a financial decision. If you can afford it, mate, definitely. It's future proofing. It's probably going to have a bit more performance and longevity, but you're not going to notice the difference. For a seven year old, not going to notice the difference. All right, I love it. Thank you so much, Trev. All right, mate. Good luck. Enjoy. Happy switching. Thanks, mate. Love it. Speak soon. No worries. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a fun one, isn't it? I, honestly, I'm so new to the Switch world. Just random. But uh, it is what it is, and I, I, I quite enjoy it. Good on you, Chris, and good luck. This is the EFTM Podcast. EFTM. Thank you for listening, Trevor Long, taking your calls and talking all things tech, cars, and lifestyle. Um, and one of the topics you've heard me talk a lot about over the last, well, few years, to be honest, but certainly over the last few months as well, is electric vehicles, and uh, there's there's a, a lot coming on in this space. There is a federal election coming up, so I think there's a lot of pressure as well on both sides of government to potentially do more. Um, so to unpack that and understand what more is and what effect it'll have on, on electric vehicles is Electric Vehicle Council Chief Executive Behad Jafari, who's very, very opinionated in this space, mate. How are you, buddy? Very well, thanks, mate. Great to be on. Your life is opinion because you need to drive conversation around electric vehicles, right? This is something we need a lot of conversation about because it's not just going to happen on its own. Yeah, that's right. I think for a few reasons. I, uh, I lead an organisation called the Electric Vehicle Council and as the name implies, we're not here to keep things the same. We want to change the vehicles that we have from petrol and diesel ones to electric ones for a whole range of very good reasons. But also, we, you know, we've seen this working. We've seen that Customers are now more than ever thinking about electric vehicles, wanting to buy them, researching them, so giving them a lot of information, you know, making sure that it's in their faces whenever they, they do want to uh, consider buying a new car, that they're not thinking about buying an old technology and they're buying a new one. That's really our bread and butter. It's pretty a uh, pretty important time too because cost of living is a massive problem for people right now with petrol uh, never more expensive. My wife, God love her, handed me the keys to the car last night, and of course it was empty. Uh, $140 <laughs> later, uh, it was full. Um, and I was talking to uh, Luke from BYD a few weeks ago, I think it was Bayhead, and you know he he made the point to me that you know the cost of repayments on a, on an electric car are nearly half, if not mm. more than um, than the cost of petrol these days. So essentially, you're the savings are now becoming much more realistic than even a couple of years ago when those calculations really required a bit of a a long planning period for a purchaser. Yeah, I think we're seeing two things right now. That One's the obvious one of petrol prices are high and people are feeling the pain from that and we need to do something to fix it. The much more fascinating one, though, is the response that we're hearing from consumers is a bigger understanding of the structural problem that we have here, that, of course, petrol prices keep shooting up from time to time. This is a very extreme example of that, but 
you know, we have no control over our fuel supply. And so when something goes wrong in the world, our petrol prices go up. Yeah. So interestingly, you know, we're not just hearing people say, well, what can you do right now to help me out because I'm struggling, but also what are we going to do about this the next time it inevitably comes up again? And, you know, if you're trying to do that budget out and you're thinking, well, yeah, it looks like it's a little bit more expensive to buy an electric vehicle compared to a petrol and diesel vehicle, but, you know, things aren't okay how they are right now. You know, these things will keep happening to me. I need to keep coming up with a few hundred dollars to pay the fuel bill that I frankly don't have. So, yeah, I I either want to make that call now or I want a bit bit of support or I want to see the market move towards electric vehicles so that I can get rid of this problem that's hanging over my head. I feel like this interview is going to be dated, uh, or this next question will be dated within hours because the federal budget is tonight. But there's a lot of talk about um, a cost of living saving or a benefit to people through fuel excise savings of, I don't know, 10 cents a litre or something, that's going to be a huge number on the budget. Now, it'll be short term, um, and let's just put a number out there. Let's call it $2 billion, right? Let's say the government's willing to cop $2 billion less in revenue because it's not actually a handout. It's it's less revenue. Yes, yeah, right. Um, yep. How do you view that? Because on one hand, okay, good, it's going to be more affordable for a little while, maybe three months, six months or something. But on the other hand – that $2 billion could be paid out um, while still receiving that money as an excise. It could be paid out to incentivize. That's, I assume, where your mind would be. Yeah, I think there's the problem with, you know, I can understand that people are going through a bit of budget pain right now and they need a little bit of help. I do think that doing that through the fuel excise is the wrong way to do it rather than giving people on low incomes a bit of additional support right now. Because again, it just entrenches this problem that we have in an ongoing way, right? With $2 billion, we could that's more than enough money to help more people buy an electric vehicle. You know, not everyone, more people buy an electric vehicle, but then really importantly, that sends a very clear signal to the global market of car makers, people building charging stations, all the rest, to say, well, look at what we're doing. You know, this, this is a flag, you know, flag post for us. We're moving in this direction. So come and invest your money here, make more products available to Australians, help us go on this journey in a faster way so that Australians have more options of electric vehicles available to buy, more charging stations being installed. And we start moving on this journey from petrol cars and diesel cars to electric ones. When I say faster, I mean faster in line with what the rest of the world is already doing. You know, that's our situation today is we're behind the rest of the developed world and that doesn't need to be the case, right? That's in, it's entirely up to us to get up to speed with everyone else. Well, you're in your most recent kind of uh, concern you put out around the, the demand uh, is now drastically outstripping supply. And we see this, and I, I give, uh, again, recently I talked about this, I gave the example of Kia and Hyundai, you know, great cars, um, I think, a little bit overpriced for what I would see them as. Um, but, you know, selling out in huge numbers because there's such short supply. You're talking 250, 500-odd cars a year at best. Um, do you believe that something the government could do would mean that, for example, Kia and Hyundai would actually send more cars to Australia? Is that what you're trying to imply? Yeah, that's right. So what we see is right around the developed world, actually every country but Australia and Russia has rules in place to say to car companies that you have to bring more fuel efficient, so not just electric vehicles, fuel efficient vehicles, as well as electric vehicles in our market. And if you don't sell enough of them, you face penalties. So it means that every other country, every other developed country, New Zealand, Europe, you know, California, right around the world, car companies have to get enough electric vehicles 
imported in the first place. They have to price them competitively. They have to market them, invest in charging stations, do all the other things that shape that market in the right way. Um, otherwise, they're up for, in some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars in penalties and fines. Yeah. And car companies, this isn't a secret from them. They tell us very publicly, because you don't have these things, you're at the bottom of the list. Put the rules in place and we'll abide by them, but you know, you're not on an equal footing with other countries right now. See, this this feels like two very separate conversations then because I – and we'll get to the rebates and stuff like that, which I feel like we're at loggerheads about and have been for some time. But sure. um, that's a very different conversation, isn't it? Because what you're saying is set targets and and companies are then required to meet them as opposed to just saying we want to be whatever the current buzzword is, you know, carbon neutral by 2030, 2050, mm-hmm. whatever, because that's a you know, holistic national thing. You're saying on an industry level, the government should say that fuel efficiency standards are such that right now, as they are, petrol cars should be efficient and they must be and there are standards, but also you must have a you know percentage of vehicles that meet even newer standards and that's all the car industry needs. There doesn't so this is not a cost. This is simply a piece of paper. Well, that's right. I mean, the this isn't new for the federal government. Back in 2016, they researched this and they found that even leaving out electric vehicles for a moment, just introducing this would reduce fuel bills by over $600 for the average motorist. And so that doesn't mean people buying different types of cars. If you buy an SUV, you buy an SUV. You buy a small car, you buy a small car. It just means that the cars that we end up getting here have had a bit more technology installed on them, a bit more, you know, they're a bit more advanced. They use less fuel to travel the same distance. And as a result, motorists are the ones who save. Now, they looked at that and, you know, it found that, yes, it does save on motorist fuel bills. Yes, it does reduce our reliance on importing oil. And yes, it also does reduce pollution. That third one is what caught them up and made it a political issue for them rather than a common sense issue. And so we still don't have this thing in place. You know, we're talking about standards that have existed in the rest of the world since the mid-70s. And in Australia in 2022, we still don't have them. And as I mentioned, they they send a very clear financial signal to car companies of saying, well, we'll penalise you if you don't bring these cars here. But it's also a, you know, when these companies are looking to make their investments and take their very latest and best technologies around the rest of the world, when every other country has been doing something for decades and Australia hasn't yet, you know, it'd be like turning up to a country that hasn't built roads yet. They, it's it's concerning for them. They're saying, well, you know, our money might be at risk here because you guys don't seem to have your act together. There's something wrong with you guys particularly. And I guess that would also, and again, we're just talking about um, a standard, a legislated standard, not not any outgoing cash, or more, right. more, more likely incoming for, through the fines. Um, that standard would also have an impact positively on prices, wouldn't it? Because there would be a greater supply and therefore the demand and supply curves in the graph would meet more closely and therefore there'd be more price competition on the physical buyer. Well, that's right. It means that the car companies have to bring more, so not just more models, but a larger volume of those models. You mentioned before, companies are bringing 200 cars each. They've because got Kia, 10 Kia, Kia is not, not going to sell, sell 10,000 EV6s at 90,000 bucks. Sorry, not going to happen. Beautiful car, but you know, it's just not a $90,000 car, but the exclusivity of it and the fact that you can't, that you, you have to be on a, on a list for it is what helps them sell it at that price. They have other cars overseas that are cheaper. They would need to bring them here. And that's the critical thing that that legislative um, requirement puts in place. That then takes me to the other side of that equation, which is 
a lot of the talk about incentives. Now, there's no government, federal government incentive to buy an electric car in Australia. There are now uh, pretty decent incentives in several states, uh, Victoria, New South Wales, Queensland, off the top of my head. Um, and we haven't seen them taken up in great numbers because New South Wales, for example, still has probably tens of thousands of them on offer, even though there was only a limited number available. But you know, the number they put out, I think it was 25,000, that would be like two years worth of entire national sales. So we've got a long way to go before they get taken up. Is it your belief that the federal government should be incentivizing the purchase of electric vehicles by consumers as well through financial incentive? Yeah, look, I think importantly they have to do both though. This is what we've seen. Some states now do have these incentives in place. State governments don't have the power to introduce things like fuel efficiency standards themselves. The federal government has to do it. And so we have butt up against this problem of there are incentives, but we don't have enough cars to fuel the demands of those incentives in the first place. Mm. So we do need both that carrot and stick measure. Um, you know, even with demand where it is today, we while we still argue that the incentives are good and important to have is at the point where you filled up all of the demand through supply, we want to keep this thing accelerating, right? We don't want this isn't a let the market do whatever it wants. In in order to meet all of our other objectives, we actually want to speed the market up as quickly as we can as well. Doesn't a government – here's my concern with government incentive, and I actually believe we're seeing it already, is we're not seeing any impact on the price of a vehicle. You're, you're basically seeing the inflated prices of electric vehicles being funded by government incentives. Now, the almost cheapest electric car in the country, uh, when it first was announced a couple of years ago, it was forty three nine ninety. Now it's forty six nine ninety. Hmm, three grand is almost the incentive offered by the states. Shouldn't that price be coming down? Yeah, look, I mean, we are uh, fortunately through a whole range of things. We're saying car prices go up and electric car prices going up as well. I think a few of those announcements came either right before or you know were, were in chain chain right as these uh, incentives came online too. But I think there's a really important point here, right, of whatever price that's being set there. Right now, selling an electric vehicle in the car market for a car company is a nice to have. Yeah. It's not necessary by any means. Mm. So as I said, it's a you know, we've crunched the numbers on this compared to Europe. Every time a car company sells an electric car there, not an incentive, the penalty that they avoid is worth about $15,000 in Australian dollars. So here, you know, they can price the car whatever they want. If they sell it, fantastic. They make the profit on it. If they don't, well, you know, like we say, there's 10 customers lined up for every car that they have, so they absolutely will sell it. Um, again, if we want to get that price right, and, you know, this is what we're seeing in places like Europe, places like California, around once a year, they basically start giving the cars away because they want to avo avoid these penalties and mm. not great for the car company, but very good for, for motorists there and yeah. being able to get into an electric vehicle. It's making this thing a requirement for them. Because right? it is it's a little a, bit elitist right now, isn't it? The electric vehicle market, you know, the the high price of the biggest brands, your Audis, your Mercedes and those kind of things. Beautiful cars. I love them, but way out of my price range. And even a Tesla, I still, you know, they're a great car, but they're not an average family purchase. Um, you know, when you look at new car sales in Australia, if it's not a ute, um, it's a, you know, Corolla. So it's still a big jump. So what do we need to do to get cars at that lower price point, is it simply those standards that are going to bring those cheaper cars to, to the market or do they not yet exist in the market globally? No, so certainly when we look at even other right-hand drive markets, places like the UK, for instance, there are a whole range of vehicles in the UK. They have cars, electric cars priced between thirty dollars to $60,000. They have about 31 models within that range. We have four models within that range. And again, they sell out very quickly when they come here. So the cars exist. It's really just a 
Now, these are global companies making global decisions, and they're saying, well, there are smarter places for us to take this technology right now. Remember, for them, this is their very latest, very best technology. They've just spent billions of dollars producing. Mm. So it is valuable to them. You know, they, they want to be smart with where they're putting th- th- these investments. And they're saying, well, everybody else is forcing us to. They have these national plans. They're getting rid of petrol and diesel vehicles. You know, it makes a lot of sense for us to go and bet on those markets. Mm. Whereas here, yes, we are seeing demand is very high right now, but you know, we're not making a one-year investment plan. We're making a 10-year one. Yeah. So show us what your plan is. Give us some confidence that says you guys understand what's happening with this technology and you're driving towards it. What's the uh, infrastructure question around this? You mentioned at the very start in terms of both investment in infrastructure needing to be led by government policy. But you know, it's we're, we're on a tipping point already around the electric vehicle infrastructure, leaving aside Tesla. Um, you know, the ChargeFox network is just unbelievable. But you know, you, you combine that with your NRMA and your RACV and all those kind of charging networks, great stuff. But the road trip I make in electric vehicles regularly is to my mum's up in up near Tamworth, you know, a couple of good charging spots along the way, but I'm rolling the dice that I'm the only one going to be there because there's only one charger. We've, we've got to make sure that the investment in that charging actually accelerates faster than the sale of electric vehicles or we're going to actually have a really negative impact on the electric vehicle concept through that negativity around being able to charge at the right time when you need it on demand? I'd actually say this is, for my job, this is one of the most excited areas where we have a number of companies. You mentioned you know, NRMA, ChargeFox, EV Networks, Ampol, Onji, BP, a whole range of companies investing quite serious money, quite a right. lot of money, not just building one or two stations, but very large plans to keep covering the country and double covering it with several charging stations, you know, close to each other as well. Um, so the amount of you know, interest there and the amount of projects going on to already build stations, stations that already exist as well as their future plans over the next few years are very high. But the number one thing that we get back from them is, look, we have the money sitting in the bank. We're ready to go with these things. We're basing our business plans, though, on how many customers do we have, how many electric vehicles are going to be on the road. And again, that's something that's much simpler to do when there's a national plan in place that says this is this is what we're doing. There's a direction we're heading in. In Australia, we're sort of guessing a little bit of a you know sales jumped threefold last year. That's fantastic. Are they going to jump threefold next year or tenfold or you know? And again, when you're looking to you know make that investment call, you you want that bit more certainty. And it says, well, if we knew that there were ten times more electric vehicles coming, we'd spend ten times more. Getting those charging stations right. out, that exactly. part's not a problem for us. All right. Who's the government minister and who's the shadow minister that's responsible for making this decision around the standards, firstly, and incentives, secondly, because it feels like you've got a very good opportunity over the next few months with an election coming up. Who do we yeah, need to so pressure? Well, it's Angus Taylor, who's the federal minister uh, in this area. He's the Minister for Energy and Emissions Reduction, and Chris Bowen, who's his counterpart in the ALP. Um, you know, So far, we've seen the ALP starting to take a few more steps than the Federal Liberal Party has been willing to to date. We'll keep an eye on what's coming up in the budget tonight. But as you mentioned as well, we do have an election period coming up where a lot more promises get made. And hopefully with a election out of the way and a you know, new, whether it's returned or a completely new government, and an ability to put a new plan in front of them and tell them, look, we're already two election cycles too late, so let's get on with it. Yeah. All right. Well, I am going to I'm going to place calls to both offices and over the next month or so, let's see who'll talk um, and what pressure can be put to make the make the case for the average Aussie getting into the EV world because I'm keen. Uh, I, just, I just don't know how 
to make it something that everyone's going to be keen on in the same way. So fight the good fight as you continue to do. Um, I, I absolutely respect the the courage of convictions that you have around it and the <laughs> and the, the, the what you've got to put on the line. But uh, it's it's going to take some time. But someone's got to fight, and I guess that's what you're doing, mate. Good on you. Thanks a lot, Trevor, and thanks again for having me on. Trevor Long taking your calls. If you've got a tech question, go to the website eftm.com. G'day, Ross. G'day, Trevor. What can I do for you, mate? I'm after a TV for the bedroom, about 32 inch in size, that um, can play uh, Apple, um, get the apps for 9, 7, and 10. Yep. I've got a, I've got a high sense TV, which I purchased, but apparently there's some issue about licensing. And those apps can't appear, won't appear on the TV. So. Ah. Well, it's actually not about license, it's just about the power of the TV. But the TV's oh. okay, is it? Like, generally, it just doesn't have the apps you want. The buffering is quite slow as well, I must say. Right. And, well, how's the Wi-Fi up there? It's pretty good. I'm in Sydney, Newtown. Yeah. So, um, generally, any other um, devices we have at home have another TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty good. What are you willing to spend on a TV? 600 700 I'm going to save you $600. Yep. By Google Chromecast. Okay. Okay. So it's called yep. a Chromecast with Google TV. You'll know it's the right one because there are different models, but you know it's the right one because it's $99. Uh, on the box or on the website, you'll see it's like a dongle plus a remote. And I say yep. that again because there's a Chromecast that doesn't have a remote. Don't buy that one. Okay. Chromecast with Google TV. That's the critical thing. So this little dongle plugs into HDMI 1 of the TV plus a little power port needed. So you should have another power point behind the TV if not. Put a double adapter in. Um, the little remote is all you need. You never need your phone or anything, but from setup, you just put it onto the Wi-Fi, and then you download Nine Now, Seven, Netflix, Amazon, all the things you want. Um, yep. Pretty much every app except Foxtel is on the Chromecast, but these are built into the Chromecast, so you don't need your phone. You don't need anything else. They're just there, and so when you turn the TV on, if it's not automatically on HDMI 1, put on HDMI 1, press the home button on the Chromecast, and hey, presto, you've got everything. And, mate, okay. seriously, best device I own. Without hesitation, I say that. It's so good. I've got one on pretty much every TV at home, including we've got a little – our TV in our bedroom, I reckon, is 12 years old. But we watch Netflix, Stan, everything on it, and Nine through the Nine Now app because it's Chromecast has got everything. Oh, brilliant then. Okay. Saved you a heap of cash, mate. Maybe don't tell the wife. Spend the, spend the cash for something else. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sound like a good idea. That's a much cheaper option. Chromecast probably. with Google TV. You've got a great TV. Um, just plug that in and you're off and running. Brilliant. Thank you very much for the Trevor. Good on you, mate. No worries at all. Thank you. Cheers. And, uh, yeah, if you've got a question like Ross uh, and you're at work and you need to whisper because you're in another room, if you're wondering why that happens, that's what happens, right? It's the middle of the day. I've called Ross. He's at work. He's like, oh, I'm just, I'm just at work. I'm like, can you get to somewhere quiet? Can we talk? He doesn't want his workmates to know he's buying a new TV. I've saved him 600 bucks. I mean, here's an interesting question. Do you reckon if you went into JB Hi-Fi or Harvey Norman or Bingley or the good guys, I'd say it with no concern for any of them specifically, and you said what Ross said, would they sell you a Chromecast? Would they sell you a TV? I have a sneaking suspicion Ross would have got a new TV. <laughs> and then he's got a bloody good, like, and here's the thing, and I think it's critical. 
He's got a great TV, high sense TV. Well, I'm got no drama with a high sense. I've got a big high sense on my wall at home. I'll be honest, Ko's built into it, but I don't think it's as good. I think the Ko app on the high sense TV doesn't perform quite as well, or anywhere near as well, frankly, as the Apple TV. I, I was you know on the weekend I was watching supercars. Took maybe five ten seconds for it to load up and start the picture, and it buffered once, and I went I'm out, and I went straight to the Apple TV. It loaded instantly. Sometimes the apps are just better on a third party platform. And the thing is, it turns any TV into a smart TV. So, for me, that's a massive win. Good luck, Ross. This is the EFTM Podcast. EFTM. Trevor Long, taking your calls. If you've got a tech question, you know where to go. EFTM.com. John did that. G'day, John. Yeah, g'day, Trevor. I just wanted to check with you on a Netgear Mesh Wi-Fi I've just purchased. Oh, great. What, what, uh, what did you buy? Which one? And why did you buy it, first and foremost? Would you... Were you having Wi-Fi uh, issues in the home? Yeah, we're having Wi-Fi issues, not getting coverage throughout the house. So I okay. uh, heard your review on uh, the radio and thought I'd yeah upgrade the system. Radio. So what'd you get and, and what what are your issues? Uh, so we've got the Netgear Orbi, uh, and we seem to have issues with speeds, like uh, web pages taking a long time to load. Okay. So what? Um, who's your telco? Which internet provider? Uh, mate. Mate. Who are they? Oh, is that with with the eight? Uh, or are they just mate? Okay. Yep, just mate. Mate internet. Okay. I've never heard of them, but uh, I'll take your word for it. Let's be mates.com.au. I'm looking at them now. What speed are you paying for? Uh, well, it's the MBN, and we can't have the fast speed, so it's uh, the fastest we can get. But you don't so know what it is. Mega, 30 megabytes download, and I think it's about 17 upload. Okay, so I would think that's probably their what they call best mates plan, fifty slash twenty. Is yep. you're paying about sixty nine dollars a month. Correct. Yeah, so that's their. What I'm looking at their website, best mate. So you should be getting at the modem. You should be getting fifty and twenty, probably you know forty seven and eighteen. Let's call it okay. So have you what, what style of internet do you have? Do you know whether it's fiber to the node, fiber to the curb, fiber to the house? Do you know anything about that? No, I don't. What hardware was installed in your house when you got the MBN? Is there a little black MBN box and a modem or just a modem from the telco? Just, just a modem. And it plugs into the phone line, what used Correct. to be the phone line? Great. So you've got yep. fibre to the node. Um, so you're basically one of those people with the copper network um, as the last line to your home. So um, the modem, have you got a laptop or any other computer that has what we call an Ethernet connection, you know, the the kind of cabled internet that you yeah, can plug in? Yeah, I've, I've, yeah, I've done that. I've tried that through the uh, the PlayStation to get a speed test, and it's the same as what I'm getting showing on the perfect. Uh, the okay, device. so so you know that the speed test you're getting is the genuine speed that you're of the, of the modem, because that's always one thing that they're separate, right? The speed the modem's getting and the speed that your Wi-Fi is getting two different things. If you're getting the same on both, that's a big win for the Wi-Fi network performing as it should. So if you're getting thirty down, which by the way I don't think is good. I would – no, but I, I think you should be ringing the telco and saying, guys, I'm paying for 50. Why am I only getting 30? 30, um, okay. If you, if you turn off – for a start, I wouldn't use the PlayStation as, as the test. PlayStation yep. uses its own servers and different things, which is actually more real world. But what you want to do is you want to turn off everything in the house, just plug a laptop into the modem and go to speedtest.net. 
Okay. Um, or worst case scenario, turn off everything in the house that you can that's connected to the internet and stand with your mobile phone on Wi-Fi right next to the modem and use the speed test app. I'd like to see you getting something that has a four in front of it. It should be 45 plus, right? Because if they're selling you 50, then you should be getting 50. If they're selling you 50 and you're only capable of getting 30, then they should have told you that. And um, if they didn't, they have to pay you back, basically. it's a, The ACCC would have a field day with them. Now, leaving that aside, a sh- 30 is not bad, not a bad speed. You shouldn't be having speed issues, right, with, with web pages and the like. So that then says there's probably something else going on. So your phone isn't essentially what we call translating the, the request for content into internet uh, performance. Here's what I would do. Now, I don't know how savvy you are and whether you're, you're, you're really keen to do this, but basically it's what we call the DNS. Okay? The DNS yep. is the domain name service. That's the way – when you type eftm.com or news.com.au, uh, the internet doesn't know where that is. So it asks the phone book of the internet, which is the DNS – well, what's their phone number? What's their number? And it then translates it to a number and your phone then sends a request off and off it goes and it comes back nice and rapidly. But the DNS service for some internet providers or for some phones, just not great. So what I would do is I would change the DNS. Now, the primary DNS I want you to use, and you'll know what this means when you look up how to change the DNS on my Orbi, right? Because <laughs> that's yep. what you want to do. How to change yep. the DNS on my Orbi. It's in the back end under advanced and internet setup. Primary DNS... One dot one dot one dot one, four ones. Okay. Yep. Secondary DNS one dot zero dot zero dot one. So starting in with a one, zeros in the middle. That's an yep. independent third-party DNS server, which is blindingly fast. Now, should it make a difference? Honestly, it shouldn't be that obvious. I worry that there's something else going on. But man, you've done all the right things in diagnosing. You've you've checked speeds and all that kind of stuff. It shouldn't be an issue. So that's the only thing I can suggest straight off the bat. If that doesn't work, then my my gut is telling me to to look for another internet provider. Are you on a contract? Uh, no, no, month by month. Beautiful thing is, mate, you can switch in half an hour. So, so what if, are your thoughts on five G at the moment, though? Oh, look, five G is great. I wouldn't use it at home um, yeah, because yeah. I want I want to pay a certain amount and get unlimited. Um, and most of the plans either unlimited at, at a set speed. Um, but for you, you're actually probably going to get a faster speed than what you've got. So do you know if you've got Optus or, or Telstra in your area? Uh, I think with Telstra, yeah. The Telstra plans... I an unlimited uh, plan come out. Yeah. Uh, it's worth looking at, but I would switch MBN providers first. Okay. So if, if this doesn't do anything for you and you don't feel like you're getting any result, then ring Aussie Broadband. Okay. Okay. Aussie Broadband, and I don't have any deal with them. I just have been using them since the very start, and they've been amazing. Um, when I have an issue, I just log it with their system, and it tells me what's going on. Like they're just they're just good, um, and they may not be the fastest, or sorry, the cheapest anymore. But geez, they're, they're consistently better. Now you're going to pay ten dollars. I'm just looking at their website. You're going to pay ten dollars a month more for the fifty twenty, but I'd be amazed if you didn't almost instantly get the better speed. Yeah, okay. So worth a check. But remember this, if if you go from mate to Aussie and have the same speed issues, then what we've learnt is that it's your home. The the yeah. the, the factor here is is your home. So they again, if neither of them can achieve the fifty, they should be sending a technician out. 
Um, things that could be a problem are the wiring in your home. So if that home had multiple phone outlets in the old days, um, get an electrician to disconnect all the old phone outlets so that you're only getting one piece of copper coming in and that's what your modem is connected to. There's no noise on the network through the copper yep. network. Little things like that can make a big difference on fibre to the node. Okay. So it wouldn't be anything in the actual individual Wi-Fi devices and nothing in the settings? Um, look, if you change that DNS setting on the router, then all the devices get the advantage of that, right? Okay. You could change it on your smartphone if you want to and see if it makes a difference straight away. Um, yeah, okay. But if it does, then you want to change the whole network. The last thing I'd say is log into those Orbi backend settings, either on the app or on the dashboard through the website, and have a look at things in the advanced settings, things in the wireless setup like the channel Um if you're in a busy area, there might be a lot of Wi-Fi congestion. So actually changing the Wi-Fi channel, yep. um, which is only done in the deep, dark settings of the of the router, could also make a difference. Okay. But my guess is it's something more related to DNS. Okay. All right, buddy. All right, Good luck. Great. No worries. Thank you very much. No worries, mate. Um, not easy at all. <laughs> but fundamentally, um, there's a lot to diagnose there. And oh, look, you've done a lot of the hard work already, which is great because sometimes it's actually something much more obvious than what, uh, what you might expect. Trevor Long taking your calls. You've got a question, go to the website, eftm.com. Kristen did that. G'day. Hi, how are you going? Yeah, really good. That's good. What can um, I do My for question you? is um, I've got three kids who I use Apple Screen Time uh, with um, quite successfully. Um, how good is it? But- Honestly, <laughs> blimey, Charlie. How old are the kids, Kristen? Uh, um, I've got a 13 going on 19-year-old, a 9-year-old going on 10, and then the 11 going on 12. So they're all sort of in that stage where Solid bunching there. Yeah. And I just find that they've had to have Apple Macs for school, two of the older ones, yep. and the um, Google Chrome um, app doesn't seem to um, talk to, I suppose, or be monitored by Apple screen time. Ah. I find that they can get around it. So I've had a look and I've sort of investigated online and from what I can read, it is actually a bit of a glitch that um, Google Chrome can get past whatever barriers or there is. I don't know. Okay. Well, that's kind of fascinating because I'm in the same situation. My kids are similar ages. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's two things. We we absolutely swear by screen time on the mobile devices, iPads and phones. Um, iPads for the little ones, phone for the older one. Um, The computers uh, are a different issue. I'll be honest, in our household, especially yep. my teenager, 15 going on, <laughs> who knows what. Yeah, you got one too. Um, yeah, he, he, like, he's on his computer all the time. Now, he's got studies mm. in year 10, and I'm like, I'm not going to put screen time on the computer. But I right. can. I know I can because I've limited certain apps, and it's, often it's about oh. finding the app and, and limiting it. But right. um, my youngest, um, we've got an iMac, and he's always on it. Um, mm-hmm. but I don't enforce the rules there because I can see him on it. So it's like, dude, you've been on it till I get off, right? My yeah, daughter, yeah, yeah. though, my daughter has a little MacBook. It's oldish, but she, it used mm-hmm. to be a mum's. But I tell you right now, like even the last two nights, I can remember her requesting Google Chrome time. Oh, and she'll yell right. out, it's because I need colouring in or whatever. Like she'll yeah, yell out yeah. what it is, you know, when they request it. So mm-hmm. it must be possible. I okay. wonder if there's a couple of things. Firstly, 
Check for software updates on the Mac OS. Um, check yep. the Google Chrome is up to date. Are any yep. other apps on the Mac restricted or are they all no, that, uh Sorry, everything else seems to um, okay. I can restrict, um, but that um, one just seems to, I don't know whether it's in my setup maybe. The, the, I mean, the normally screen time is, is managed, as you well know, from your phone, you know, log mm, in, yep. click screen time, click the individual child, and yep. the password, da da da, da. Um, mm. But the thing, I, I, my guess is that in, um, in your phone, it won't yep. be just called Google Chrome. So mm. what you're restricting by restricting Google Chrome in the settings is probably just the Google Chrome app on iOS yep. and um Sorry, on the iPads and any phones. Yeah. Whereas, and I'm just looking at my daughters now to see whether I can see what um, what it comes up as because mm-hmm. normally, obviously, if there's been activity, it'll tell me what activity, what apps it's been using the activity, right? Mm. Um, I can't for the life of me see. No, Chrome. It just comes up as Chrome. Okay. Definitely. Um, yeah, well, maybe I'm, I'll have another look at it. So the other thing to do um, is on the physical computer – yeah. Have a look what the screen time settings are showing in there. Okay. And it may well be yeah. you need to override it and set a yeah. set a physical limit on the computer. Um, okay. But I'm going to have so to take this one as homework, I think, Christian, because <laughs> maybe I'm a I'm, – I'm oh, I can't believe this. Someone's more strict than me. This is awesome. I always, oh, I don't know about that. No, no, no. I feel like, well, what's the screen time? What number? What, how many hours a day do they get? Uh, well, it depends what day it is of the week. Oh, but yeah. Weekends, they get a bit longer, only an hour on school days. Okay, we're the same. But, you know, okay. you're, there's, there's, there's an issue with Chrome, so I feel like you're yeah, stricter. Yeah, and I, I just find that, I'll, that I'll be, I've got screen time on, and then I say to him, especially my son, the middle one, what do you, what do you want? And he'll go, oh, I'm on Chrome. And I'll go, oh, right, okay, so how did that not? And look, the other thing to do is, are they? I mean, how much are they still using the computers for school now in normal times? We're not out of lockdown. Well, funny enough, we are in lockdown at the moment, so this oh, has sort of come God. to head this week. So, um, so then, what I would do is the next step of kind of, you know, threat level, is mm-hmm. I would say to them, right, I don't want you using Chrome anymore. I want you using Safari. Okay. Now, whenever they say, not got to use Chrome. You say, well, show me. So I want you to show me the website, the Google Classroom, whatever it is that's working in Chrome, and I want you to show in me Chrome. it not working in Google. In, yeah, okay. In, yeah, sorry, okay. in Safari. In Safari. Because yeah. maybe they're pulling our legs, right? But I, I do oh, know yeah. that during <laughs> school, homeschooling and stuff, we yeah. definitely went to a point where it had to had to be Chrome because Safari just wasn't okay. cutting it. So okay. they may be right in many yeah. instances, but if it's, you know, typing practice or whatever it is, uh, no, it's no, unlikely, no. right? So get That's them to find out what it is and just say, listen, uh-huh. I'm going to uninstall Chrome. Because yep. also okay. it's, it's that whole mum threat thing, right? It's like I'm going to install Chrome. If you're going to take the mickey here because you know that I can't control this properly – then I'm going to uninstall yeah. it. So yeah. that's that's okay. the that's the way to approach it. That's maybe. the ultimate. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Okay. All right. Good luck. I'm going to try that. Thank you. No worries. For your time. Cheers. All right. Any, anything you. else you just let me know. Good on you, Kristen. I will. Thanks, Trevor. Thank you. And um, yeah, it's a tough one. I, I will say I'm lax on that. I have been a little bit lax on on the cutting back on things like Google Chrome in the in the browser. So um, I'll, I'll check that myself though tonight. See how we go. All 
right, and a wrap of another show. Thank you very much for listening. A um, couple of bit of bits of content going up this week on the website. The reviews of the new Rode uh, NTH100 headphones, brand new headphones from a company that's never made headphones before, and they're very good. But we're not talking about music here. We're talking about production, just like what I'm doing right now, listening to them on these very comfortable, gorgeous headphones, 250 bucks, made in Australia. I just utterly love the fact that there's a factory pumping out headphones in Australia, let alone pumping out microphones and roadcasters and all these kind of things. It's amazing to me, and I'll probably never deal with it. <laughs> Every time I go out there, they're like, we'll take you on a tour. I'm like, oh, my God, I, I'm not ready for that yet. But we will. We're going to do a video tour um, very soon. Um, and also the new tag, Connected Watch. I put a video up on um, socials this morning about that. Plenty of hate uh, in the world already, which is great. I just love it. Um, uh, like one guy going, I have the previous version of this watch and my Apple Watch kicks its ass. Well, I'm going to reply to you. Should have left it. Um, sure. But the Apple Watch is bland. Simple. There you go. Take that. Um, uh, my God, it's just funny. Really? The comments? It's all good fun. All right. We, um, oh, what's next week? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Is next week Formula One week? It is. Uh, normal show next week. Yep, normal show next week. It's a Tuesday. We don't leave for Melbourne until Thursday. We've got a big day on Wednesday as well, Fennec and I, but uh, Melbourne Formula One Grand Prix next week. If you are half into F1, subscribe to the EFTM F1 podcast. Thanks to KS Sports as well. We'd love your support there. And, of course, as always, I encourage you and, and ask you to leave a rating or review at any time you can um, because it just makes me feel good. That's really the most important reason. Thanks for listening, folks. Talk to you soon. EFTM. This is the EFTM Podcast. EFTM Podcast.